Love you, darling. Happy Mother's Day. Bless you. you. Give her a hand clap, a real one. And bless my mum too. Amen. Thank you. Am I on? Yes. Oh, you may be seated. (laughs) I find it really hard to receive... um, Thanks. Anybody else? And I think most mums are like that. Like we just give and give and give and give and we never expect anyone to say thank you, do we, Heidi? And when they do, it kind of freaks you out. You do. You expect it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Watch out, you guys. Amen. (laughs) Come on, Charlie. Come up and help me. Let's just thank Charlie this morning playing keys for me. One of our new sons in the house, beautiful son. Good, good boy. The other night we were going up to a uh, another church on Tuesday night, and uh, they asked me would I pray and do deliverance on a group of their Bible college students. But what I realised was that the pastor got excited and invited the whole church, and so. Um, with shaking boots, we went up there, a few of us, I took a few of the team, and I asked um, Charlie, would he come, maybe just play keys behind me after the worship. And so on the way up there, the pastor rang and said, I'm sorry, the worship leader's sick, there's no worship. I'm thinking, anyway, him and his sister, Jesse, are sitting in the back of my car. We said, we'll do it. I went, I've never heard you play, I've never heard you sing, <laughs> but hey... <laughs> Better than nothing. Anyway, and uh, the, the minute that he played and she opened her mouth, there was such an anointing there. I think we had 80 or more people on the altar. I say at least 75 were set free. Like it was amazing. And thank you to my fledgling team who got thrown in the deep end. <laughs> oh, it was fun. Anyway, we had fun. A group of children were discussing babies one day. And one of the experts amongst the little children said, Storks bring babies. And then the other children were bringing all their ideas. And then one little guy said, Babies, he said, are connected to their mother's biblical cord. (laughs) And you know how true, how true is that? They are attached to their mother's biblical cord. Um, and that's a clue for motherhood right there. Because without him, we're going nowhere. Amen? What about this one? This pastor writes, As we began to pastor our first church, my wife Laurie and I found we were going to have a third child. And Bill wrote, Several weeks later, Laurie was going through her clothes, which no longer fit. Watching her, our five-year-old son asked, Mom, now that you're going to have a baby, are you going to wear eternity clothes? (laughs) And the mother looked at him and said, Son, it feels like eternity, you know. What about this one? One uh, One mother put her son to bed on the eve of his fifth birthday. She was trying to communicate that birthday idea to him. Kevin, she said, this is the last night of your fourth night. This is the last night of you being four. Do you understand that? Kevin was ready to communicate with his hands. For a full year, he had shown people four fingers. And he's four years. And now he was ready to add a thumb. Seeing his four fingers, his mother nodded and said, when you go to sleep tonight, you'll still be four years old. But do you know how old you will be when you wake up in the morning? Kevin nodded enthusiastically and added his thumb to his little fingers and said, tomorrow I'll be a handful. (laughs) And all the mothers of five-year-olds said, yes. (laughs) What a wonderful thing, you know, it is to to just be a mum. And what a blessing it is to be a mother. I thank God every minute of every day that he gave me the opportunity to be a mother, not just to my children and grandmother to my grandchildren, but a mother to you, like a mother to this house. I mean, I get embarrassed when you say thank you, but you've got to understand, I carry you in my womb. Yesterday, I probably spent six hours in my prayer room interceding and groaning for you because 
It's like I'm giving birth to you every day. Carly, I was giving birth to you this week. You were one of the ones I was giving birth to this week. God has got such a beautiful plan for your life. Honestly, Carly, you were born for such a moment as this, and I've not been able to get you off my mind. I think God is going to transform you so quickly, and what he's going to do in your life is going to be so beautiful. People are going to be gobsmacked at you. And the mockers that have mocked you in the past, their mouths are going to be shut because you're going to go past all those snobby Christian people that put you down all those years. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, good. Yeah. And, you know, so God puts one of your faces in my mind and I'm just like, oh, and like yesterday I was groaning. You know, it says that all of creation is groaning for the manifestations of the sons and the daughters of God. And oftentimes I feel like I'm just part of creation, just groaning and groaning and part of what's happening in heaven and the groaning of the Father God for you. Wow. It's, it's just, Wow. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, I'm thinking about our Maggie is in kids' church, our C3 Kids leader. Every week she's out there, she's raising teams, she's loving on those kids. And I remember when I first asked her, you know, would you, would you be our C3 Kids leader? And, and uh, she, had, she had had a few years before diagnosis of um, ovarian cancer they'd given her three months to live and uh, we prayed for her they did surgery they took her ovaries out of course her womb and everything took it all out and we prayed for her they said that she probably wouldn't still live but we prayed and she lived and it's been six years has it Helen a bit more than that, maybe seven years since, since she was healed. But of course, because of that surgery, she wasn't able to have children. And, and she, her heart for children is so strong. You know, every woman's heart for children is so strong. And so when I asked her, would she do kids' church and would she talk to Ed about it, Ed held her in his arms and he said, Meg, Maggie, we can't have children but perhaps this is the children God has given us. Perhaps these kids' church children are the kids and the family that God has given us. So every week she goes in there as if that's her family and these children have come out of her womb. She's like a mother in the house of God. And I just want to honour Meg this morning as well, even though she can't hear me. It's so beautiful, Julie sent out an email to all the mums and asked all the kids would they write a letter to to Meg today and give it to her as their spiritual mum and so she's probably got all these letters in there right now probably a a mess I would say (laughs) right now Um, I I want to shout out a few different mums I I don't know if Kobe's in the house I don't think she's in the house today she had her That, that Kobe Kobe, stand up. I want to honour you this morning because, I mean, what you've gone through with Jackson for a long time as a single mom. how many surgeries has Jackson had? Nine surgeries. Ten surgeries. Ten surgeries. At times, probably, you know, things in the balance. He has a pacemaker that he has to have changed regularly. It's been a real, like you are amazing, honestly. As a single mom, right up to this time, raising Jackson, you poured everything into him. I want to honor you this morning for all you've done for your boy. Yeah. And so now God's blessed you with a future husband, and within four weeks, you'll have someone to help you, and that'll be so great. Love you. Love you, Kobe. I want to honor Sarah too, Sarah Harvey. Is she here? Stand up, Sarah. Look at our little Sarah raising five children and, well, six really with Cam, but anyway, um, raising five children. I take my hat off to you, Sarah. I think three of being diagnosed with autism. You are an incredible mother, and we honour you in the house today for all you've done. 
you made it. I remember you saying, will I ever get these out of nappies, you know, and it's like, you know, here you are. Hey? Yeah, you had three nappies at once. I know. I know. And I remember you crying, will this season ever be over? And look at it now, you've got teenagers everywhere and now you're in that most beautiful season. That's kind of worse than nappies, but I bless you in Jesus' name. Bless you. Hey? They're, they are. They're amazing children. You've done so well. And I want to honour Heidi as well. Stand up, Heidi. Heidi, beautiful mum. I mean, one, two, three children uh, all in the house today. But Heidi, I love the way you've raised your kids. Like you, these kids are a credit to you. Well, young people, really. They're not kids anymore. But, you know, I, you've been on the mission field with your kids. You, how long did you live in Africa with your children? Seven, eight months? Eight months on the mission field with your kids in Africa. Your, her mother was a great missionary into Africa, 21 years in Africa. And uh, I just, I just honour you and I honour the, the lineage that's on your life that will go to your children and your children's children. You've warred over this lineage and it will come to pass in Jesus' name. Amen. So bless you, Heidi. And there's so many others. But this morning I want to honour Christy. Um, it's so tough, Christy. I cannot believe you. This week Christy lost her mum. And yet she was up here this morning leading us in worship. And we want to honour you, Christy, and, uh, and bless all that's happening. And we bless you, Sue, wherever you are this morning in heaven. We bless you, Christy, and we thank you for all you pour out for us. Amen. Let's give Christy a hand this morning. You know, it's amazing with, you know, I've got nine grandchildren now, and uh, six of those are girls and three boys. And when they come over to my house, it's like, can we go and pull all the toys out now? Because I have to have a whole wardrobe now just for kids' toys. You think it's over once you've had your kids? Suddenly you've got a grandmother cupboard and it's like it takes up a whole room. And so they say, can we go and pull toys out, nanny? Yeah, go and just get whatever you want out of the cupboards. Always the boys will come out with the cars and, you know, all the stuff and Moses loves puzzles. But... Where's the bubbies, Nanny? Where's the bubbies? It always where's the bubbies? And I've got a big box of bubbies, little dollies with clothes and bottles and all the stuff. And it's so incredible to even watch, you know, um, little Remy, you know, like, is Remy three yet? Not yet. She's nearly three. But, you know, she'll just spend so long in her own little world with this baby and she changes the nappy and then she puts the clothes on then she takes the clothes off then she takes the nappy off and every time of course it's like nanny help me nanny help me put the nappy on again take the nappy off again put the clothes on again and you know the bottle shoved in the mouth and it's like and then they cuddle them go they just know what to do it freaks me out it totally freaks me out how do you know at two years old what to do, you know? And now they stick them on their booby and pretend they're breastfeeding. It's like... <laughs> I mean, obviously they watch their mothers, but even when little girls don't watch their mothers, they seem to just instinctively know what to do. And I remember as a little girl, I had my dollies and they were the most precious thing to me, my dollies. And I love to play, you know, make-believe games with them and go into sort of spaces of... Um, fantasy. I lived in a fantasy world with my dollies and, you know, and this was the husband and this was the wife and they were going to fall in love and he was going to sing romantic songs to and they're going to have lots of babies and all that. You just play those games because you just, you know, oh, he was, he was lovely. He was a prince and she was a princess and, you know, but, but, um, <laughs> you are my prince, darling. You are my, absolutely you're my prince even though you're broke, but anyway. But alas, um, at 17, I got really sick and had to have surgery and was told, you're never going to have children. And it was just like, it was just like someone had cut my life source off. It was like, so they said to me at 17, you need a full hysterectomy or you're going to die. And I said no, and I, as you do when you're 17, because you don't 
think of circumstances, I checked myself out of hospital and went on with my life thinking, well, if, and I said to them, if I can't have children, I don't want to live. Somehow by the grace of God, God got me through those years. I, I mean, he must have healed me. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what went on. I was not saved at the time. And you know, when I, when I met Phil, I'd only just become a Christian through an encounter with Jesus. And I said to Phil, you know, you don't want to date me you know, because I can't have children. And he just goes, oh, no, that's cool. It's going to be all right. You know, we'll adopt or something. We'll work it out. So we got married with that idea. And after our wedding, we came back and we started to go to church for the first time in our lives. And we both were water baptized. One month later, I'm just feeling so sick. I'm thinking, no, this has come back. You know, I'm going to die. And, you know, this beautiful man, I had all these romantic notions about what he'd say at my funeral, as you do, uh, those of us who have creative imaginations. And um, you, you ask him, my imagination is crazy. I'll just go, woo, out there and um, pull it back, pull it back. And, uh, and, um, Anyway, so I went to see my specialist, my cancer specialist, who I'd seen before. And I said, you know, I, I think it's back, you know. And I was 26 at the time. And uh, he said, he did tests on me and uh, called me back into his office. I've got your results of your tests and I'm just waiting there like this. Okay, okay. And he says, well, something incredible has happened. And I said, what's that? He said, do you know that you have not got the bits that need to make babies. I said, I know. And he said, you know that you can't produce eggs. Uh, I know that. And he said, but you're pregnant. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was like every blessing that I'd ever wanted in my whole life was now in my body. And I just could not believe it. I could not believe that God would be so good that he would give me this desire of my heart. And so I this, this thing inside of me was just like a treasure. Oh, man, I remember being like two months pregnant and being in my cosy and walking across the beach like this going, can everybody see it? Can you see it? Look, you know, and it was this tiny bum. You know, I was just like, man, this is the best day of my life. I remember the first time I felt the baby kick inside of me and I'm just like, Phil, it's moving, you know, this baby. Oh, man, you just have to be a woman to know what it feels like to have a, a baby moving inside of you. It's like, oh, my God, this thing is moving inside. And I feel every moment, I feel it's hiccups. I know, I know what it feels like. I can feel it. And I would sing over my belly. I would sing worship songs over my belly. I was so, so, so grateful. And I remember the, 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 the first time I looked at Julie. This, can you put that picture up of Julie and me? Yeah, look. Oh, my God. I thought, man, God, life will never get better than this. This is like I've arrived. This is, I just, I wanted to be a mother more than anything else in the world. It was the most important thing to me. And she was such a beautiful baby. She was so gorgeous. In fact, the gynecologist rang up his wife and said, you've got to come and look at this baby. I've never seen a baby so beautiful. <laughs> he actually thought she was Chinese because he was Chinese or Thai or something. And he thought, she looks like me, he thought. And I said, no, she doesn't. She's mine. Go away. <laughs> you know, I was so protective over her that, you know, when, um, when I got her out of the hospital, I would actually vacuum and I would, her little, her little cot was on wheels and I had a rope attached to it. And I would just vacuum like this. I would just pull the cot around. It was like, you're not getting out of my sight, child. I wanted to stare at you every minute. I had her next to my bed. I hardly slept. I'd wake up through the night just look and go, oh, my God, I can't believe it. It was just the most beautiful, beautiful thing. And, of course, you know, God in his blessings then gave me Jessica, who's, where is she? She's feeding baby. She's being a mother in the mother. This year she's waving in the mother's room. Hi, Jess. 
And, uh, and you look at this new child, you go through the whole thing again. Here we go again, this baby's moving inside of me and it's kicking and I'm in love with this baby. And then you, you, you're thinking to yourself, this is what you think like a mum, will I ever be able to love this child as much as I love that one? Is there enough to go around? Do you think like that, Heidi, when you had the second one? Like, could you possibly... And then, and then Jessie comes out, and there she is. I'm looking at her face, and I go, oh, my God. It was like I got another wave of love that was just even more than the first time. And it was like I, the capacity to love this individual person just grew inside of me. And, you know, and then God gives me Jamie. And then again, the whole process again. And then seven years went by. Seven years. I had three in three and a half years. And seven years go by. And I'm thinking, no, it's over. I can't have any more children. I had three cesareans. Can't have any more children. And, uh, and I said to people, we're not having any more children. And one day I heard the three girls praying in their bedroom. And they're praying, please, God, will you give us a sister? And I'm going, I go into the room, do not pray that. <laughs> Mommy is done. It's seven years, the cots are sold, all the baby stuff is gone. My body is healed. I somehow feel like a human again. And we're not having any more babies. Oh, okay, Mommy. So the next day, I'm looking for them, the three girls. Where are they? Where are they? I can't find them. I'm looking in every room. I can't find them. And then I hear this under the bed. They're under the bed having a prayer meeting. So I get down on my knees. I lift up. I said, I told you girls not to pray about mommy having a baby again. And they said, oh, no, we're not praying, mommy, that you would have a baby. We're just praying God will change your mind. Well... I got them together, I got filled together, and I said, okay, guys, I'm going to give God one month. And if, if I fall pregnant in one month, we know it's God's will. If I don't, we're all putting it to bed, okay? Guess what? Yeah, Gemma. But what a blessing she was to me. And again, here I am at 37 years old, and I've got this huge baby. She was like, a sumo wrestler inside of me. Girls will tell you, you know, I just had this belly and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a heat wave, 42 degrees nearly every day in February. And I'm like this and we've got this fibro house with no, no air conditioning, not even, I, I had one fan and I used to just get in the cold bath and then I'd get out and I'd just lay on the wood floor of the, and this big beach whale, just like... <laughs> But what a blessing. And then I realized, guess what? I can love four of these humans and they're all so different and they all need to be parented differently. But God gave me the capacity to do it because I always ran back to him to say, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I, do, how do I parent these individual people? Oh my God. Imagine how God feels about us. Hey, with all our different personalities and all our different ways, you know. I mean, I remember Jamie, my third child, strong-willed child. You've been given a strong-willed child. And I say, don't touch that. And she goes, eh, 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 like that. And she's like, she can't even speak yet. I was like you, Jesse, wasn't it? I know it. I said, I saw you. I said, you remind me of Jamie. And then I say, I'm going to smack your hand if you touch that again. And she'd go, eh, 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 like that. So I'd smack her hand like that and say, don't touch that. She'd go, eh, eh, And it's like, oh. So thank God for James Dobson. I read his book, Raising a Strong-Willed Child. And uh, he, he said in that book, if you don't conquer them by the age of two, they'll conquer you. So I decided I was going to conquer Jamie by the age of two. Well, guess what? There she is right now in Africa in Nairobi right now, in visiting the church that, that they raised out of the ground. She's just been to Dubai, working out how they're going to plant a church in Dubai. They've got a church in Newcastle. She's 33 years of age. And that strong-willed child knew how to use that strong will. 
And she fought demons, she's fought witches, she's gone through everything. And you can guess what? God gave her that personality exactly for that purpose. Hey? And we have to understand each one of our children, each one of our grandchildren, these are precious. Just the way God understands you and he's made you for a purpose. Amen? Each child is a vital part of a mother. Did you know that? You know, oftentimes, you know, Phil will say to me, look, just don't worry about the kids. They've got their own lives now, you know. They've got their own families. And it's just like, "Mm, no, I can't sleep tonight. Something's going on. I'm awake. I'm praying. Hey, you know, it takes seven months. You're listening to this, Jesse? It takes seven months for a baby to realize that they are a different person to you. So for the first seven months, they still feel like they're part of you and inside of you. That's why they need all the cuddles they can get, you know, all this self-soothing stuff. You know, just hug them, hug them, hug them, hug them. They need you. And on a genetic level, our biological mothers contribute half of our DNA at conception and our biological fathers the second half. This is followed by nine months of pregnancy as the embryo develops into a fetus and ultimately a baby. But the genetic bond between mother and child does not end at conception. Do you know that both mom and baby also share each other's cells during pregnancy? So it's not just the mother giving the baby her cells, it's the baby giving the mother its cells, right? No wonder we feel so connected, women. As early as the second week of pregnancy... There is a two-way flow of cells and DNA between the fetus and the mother. Cells containing DNA from the fetus cross the placenta and into the mother's blood circulation. So cells from the baby at two weeks pregnancy start to infiltrate the mother's body and become part of the mother. It's crazy, isn't it? And the opposite direction of transfer happens with the mother to the baby. Most of the cells coming from the fetus are destroyed by the mother's immune system, but some persist and become embedded in various organs and become a part of the mother. The fetal cells have been found to stay in the mother's body beyond the time of pregnancy and in some cases for as long as decades after the birth of the baby. You wonder why he's so attached, you know? Hey, Lisa, it's like that, isn't it? It's like they're outside me, but they're in me. I feel them. I know what they're feeling. I know what they're going through. It's like the cells in my body tell me. Amen. And it says here, the mum cells also stay in the baby's blood and tissues for decades. That's why there's that bond. My cells were in my children for decades. Decades. We're talking decades. I think there's still a lot in there. Really, I claim it in Jesus' name. (laughs) The cells of the mother are in the child for decades, including their organs like the pancreas, the heart, and the skin. In one study, more than half of adults... Half of adults still had maternal cells in their blood. Wow, how's that? In some cases, even cells from maternal grandmothers, yes, acquired during a mother's own gestation can be transferred to the fetus. I mean, I remember where I was, I was, I've nearly, I think I've been at seven births out of nine, haven't I? Seven births out of nine, is that right? Or eight out of nine. Uh, where I've helped deliver all my grandchildren. And each time one comes out, I go, I feel like it's my baby. Like I'm looking at this baby going, I feel like I'm giving birth again to the next generation. And, it, and it's right because those cells that are in Jilly and, and in Jess and in Jamie are now being transferred into their children. And a part of me is in, their grand, in the grandchildren. It's crazy, isn't it? How amazing is God? You know, every mother has a given task to raise a child. It's it's like a calling. You know, it's like we've been given a calling, and I'm speaking to dads as well. This isn't something that we hold lightly. This is like, oh, my God, we've been given this gift. We've been given a creation of God. God is giving us his child to raise. 
And you know what? We don't always do it right. I mean, we can think of our own mothers, perhaps, and just go, whoa. Um, But somewhere in the generations, there has to come a line in the sand. Somewhere there has to be a woman like Deborah. It says village life had ceased. When you think about the generations that have gone before you, and you think like village life had ceased in my generations. All this stuff that's in my generations, I can either submit and give in to that and just go, well, that's the way it is in my family. Or I can say, no, 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 this stops here. And it said village life had ceased in Israel until I... Deborah arose a mother. Deborah was a judge. She could have said she was a judge. Deborah was a prophet. She could have said she was a prophet. She was a leader. She could have said she was a leader. But the most important thing in her heart that she proclaimed over Israel is that she arose a mother. And you know, somewhere in the generations, there's just got to be someone that says it finishes here. It stops here. How many of you are first generation Christians in the house? Yeah, me too. First generation. And you've got to say it stops here. This stuff is my kids are never going to have to deal with that. And so I fought wars. I fought battles over my kids. It wasn't just a matter of giving birth and their beautiful little children, but I spent hours in prayer. I spent, I spent time looking at my own heart, making sure I was healed, making sure I was delivered, making sure all the generational bloodline was cleansed and my DNA was clear so that these children wouldn't have to ever put up with that. But they would only get the blood flow of Jesus flowing through me and my husband into them. And then they would have a head start in life. You know, there's a war that we fight as mothers over our children, but there's no greater war you can fight over your children than the war of legacy. And someone has to take a stand. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, Mary was an example of a mother in the Bible. I mean, imagine being a teenager. A teenager and an angel coming to you and says, you know, you're going to carry the Son of God. I mean, it's hard enough going, you're going to carry a baby and the responsibility of that baby, the responsibility of a human life inside of me. But God comes to Mary and says, you're going to carry the Son of God. And I love that we can learn from Mary because the first thing Mary says to this angel said, let us be done to me according to your will. I don't know how to do this. I'm scared. I, I, I don't even know how I'm doing it. But Lord, let it be done to me according to your will. And I know you will teach me and you will guide me. And that's how I felt when I gave birth to my babies. And that's how I feel about every one of you every day as I bring you to birth. Is that God, let it be done to me according to your will. I surrender to you, God, because you're the only one that can do this. You're the only one that can change lives. You're the only one who can raise my kids. I want to know how to do it your way. You're the only one that can raise the family of God in the house of God. I want to do it your way, God. And I loved that Mary surrendered to Jesus. You know, she she was she must have been unsure of her ability. She was a teenage girl. But guess what? In the hands of a mighty God. As we ask every minute of every day, how do I do this, God? What do I do now? Every step of the way, we ask him and we pray. I mean, Mary would have been up at night cradling her son. I'm sure Jesus would have had fevers. Huh? He was human. He was half human, half God. He would have had fevers at night. She would have been like us. She would have had to stay up. How many of you stayed up all night with fevers with your children, sponging them down, putting them in tepid bars? She would have done that. She would have, she would have seen him growing up and maybe getting picked on at school. She would have seen that. He lived a normal life. And all the time in the back of her head, she's thinking about what the future holds. What is it, as like every mother does, what does the future hold? Like I do about you. 
what does the future hold for these people? How can I make the path straight for them? How can I make it better for them? How can I take away the pain? But you know what? No mother can take away the pain. Not even a spiritual mother. We all got to walk our journeys. I remember one day I was crying out to God. And, then, and it was about the time when Jamie, our third, which was about 18, and, and, uh, and she was having like heart failure. In the, and she was on like life support. And they were talking about putting a, a pacemaker in her chest. She was 18. She just kept collapsing, kept collapsing. It was just probably the most traumatic times of my whole life. And I remember just saying to God, 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 what do I do? What do I do? What do I do in this situation? And he said, Julie, haven't I been with you through your whole life? I said, yes, you have. Haven't I got you through some serious situations, some life-threatening situations? I said, yes, you have. He said, then let me take your daughters through their own journey and trust me because I've got them. You know, Jamie walked out of that hospital. Today, she's completely healed. She never had to have a pacemaker. But it was about two years of suffering that we had to walk through, yeah? Yeah. I think with Mary too, and and Andrew uh, mentioned this, he said that, you know, the water into wine scenario. So here she is. She knows Jesus and who he is. She knows what he's about to do. And she starts to get excited. Any dancing school mothers in the house? Um, Performance mothers, Melina, you know. Oh, mate, I had a dance school for 10 years and the mother's pushing their kids Look at my child. She's great. She's the best, you know, just pushing them before their time. You know what I mean? Sometimes as mothers, we just get really excited and we want, you know, God to do a faster work than what he's doing in them. And and with the water to wine, you know, we see that Mary wasn't a perfect mother. She actually pushed Jesus into a situation and said, come on, you know, Jesus, you know, you can do this. Turn the water to wine. He's going, woman, it's not my time. It's not my time, woman. And she's going, oh, yeah, but for mum. You can do it, can't you? And it's like he goes, yeah, I, like what What can I do? And so he steps into a miracle before his time because of his mother. She wasn't perfect. I love this, Linda. Linda tried perfection one day on the day her daughter got married. As she tells the story, she went to the front of the church to light one of the three candles in the ceremony, not realizing the potential hazard I got too close and I set my acrylic nail on fire. Trying not to ruin my daughter's big day, I calmly lit the other candle with my flaming fingernail. (laughs) And then like a gunslinger with his six-shooter, I blew it out. Needless to say, my blackened nail was the talk of the reception. (laughs) I love, have you ever seen the movie, uh, I think it's just out really, uh, about Dr. Ben Carson. It's just come out, actually. It's a great movie. You should watch it. You know, John, John, uh, Ben Carson was raised by this black mother, and they were poor. They, she, you know, they were just hard to get in the schooling, but she just did everything she could to get her kids an education. She worked three jobs. She did everything she could. They were really poor, hard neighborhood. All the kids were end up in gangs, ended up dying in the streets. But she says, my boys aren't going to do that. And she really just fought like a, mom, a single mom for those boys and did everything she could to get them an education. And she used to make them do these studies, you know, every day. And she give them to mom. Did you do it? Did you do it? She'd make them do book reviews and, and all this kind of stuff. And she would look at it and go, great, good work. One day, Ben Carlson realized that his mother was illiterate. She couldn't read one word of what they were showing her. She just had to pretend But in the pretense, in the pretending, she raised Ben Carlson to be one of the greatest surgeons in history. He he had breakthrough surgery, especially with children's heart transplants. Breakthrough surgery. A mother that was illiterate raised these kids. It doesn't matter what you think you are, how weak you are, how weak we are, how how our you know what our failures are, what we can achieve. We can always achieve better. And uh, in Jesus' name, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Any mothers in the house make mistakes? I never did. I just, 
I was saying to Julie yesterday, I rang her up and I was having one of those like crying days. And uh, I just rang up and said, I just, want, I just want to tell you how much I love you, Julie, and just how precious you are to me. And, and just, I cannot believe you turned out the way you did with all the mistakes I made. And she goes, Mom, I don't even remember any mistakes. I don't remember if you washed up or if the house was clean or if you did all the things that you're supposed to do. I remembered the love and I remember the cuddles and I remember that you understood us. I remember that you were there no matter what, Mum. And I just go, whoa. And I just like crying on the phone and Julie was crying. We are both crying. <laughs> Sometimes, you, don't, you, you know, you think you have to be so perfect. Put down all those mother books. Put them all down. All those mother books ticking off all the things you know that you're supposed to do to be a great mum and just listen to God he will tell you I prayed about when they when 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 they had to stop breastfeeding I prayed about when they could get rid of the dummies how do you get rid of a dummy right God showed me how to get rid of dummies and he showed me you know what to do when they had bad friends at school how did I pray them through what did I do how did I encourage them all the seasons of their lives you know, God led me. I would always get on my knees. God, what do I do now? They're, this boy is trying to, you know, date my daughter and he is undesirable. And uh, and uh, I remember I had this, this apostle at my house once, my youngest daughter. There was a, a man in pursuit of her that I did not. None of us did like him, did we, Evan? And um, Evan, big brother, you know, you know. And uh, I had an apostle at my house, and he said, is there any prayer requests that you have, Julie? You know, I can pray apostolically as a father. I said, oh, yeah, well, there's this guy that's pursuing my youngest daughter. And he goes, do you want me to drive him out? And I said, yes, please. Well, he did. He prayed a driving out prayer, and that was gone. And praise Jesus. And um, now we're waiting for Mr. Wright to come along. It's amazing how many times God will back you up if you just stand. Amen. How many women in the house have been really encouraged by reading Proverbs 31? Anybody read Proverbs 31, the perfect woman? Huh? And read that and you've been encouraged? The Passion Translation. Well, I read it and I get discouraged. So um, because there seems to be this imaginary perfect woman that is totally unattainable. I mean, it says in the beginning, she never sleeps. Well, I mean, those with young babies and Jessie's in the mother's room. Jessie, do you ever sleep? No, she said no. So that part of it's okay. Okay, she never sleeps and she always works. That's probably Jessie. She won't be mad for much longer. We do go through a stage where we're not quite ourselves um, because lack of sleep makes us unusual people. Do you remember, do you remember that, Andrew, when Julie had little ones and you were doing all the housework for her and looking after her you still do <laughs> did you buy her flowers yesterday you better off you did no you did not <laughs> you got two bunches I got red roses yesterday she never sleeps she always works and that's the reality but in the poem she manages a fleet of ships she runs a farm she manages staff she sews like a fashion expert she cooks cleans homeschools her children she has a feast waiting on her husband when he arrives home every day from a much less demanding job by the way and she needs no carpool whatsoever she simply puts on her supermother cape and flies her children off to their next appointment I think the closest I've ever seen to that is Jilly. I think she's pretty close to that. Not me. No way. But like, there's a line in that proverb that says, a wife like this, who can find her? And I say, yeah, big question mark. Who the heck can find her? So just cut yourself some slack here and, uh, and just be you. Um, and who God's called you to be. And husbands, get off your butts and help so that she doesn't have to be all those things. Amen. <laughs> I remember I had eczema when the kids were little. And in those days, we only had cloth nappies. Uh, there was no such thing as disposable nappies. Yes, back in the dark age, there was only cloth nappies. And I had this terrible eczema. And if I bent my fingers, they would 
bleed and I couldn't touch the nappies. And so every day he'd come home from work and um, sometimes I'd just throw them in the bin. Like it was just so disgusting. But he'd come home from work and he'd, I'd say, darling, I'm sorry. Like there's a pile of nappies. And all the pooey ones, he would take out, hang on the line and hose them. Just poo would just fly all over. It was very good fertiliser. Um, very good. We have really green grass in those days. Um, yeah. Then he'd chuck them in the washing machine. Thank you, darling, for hosing all those nappies for me. <laughs> Another thing I love about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and I'm nearly done, um, is that I loved that she never relinquished her title. No matter what she went through, I mean, can you imagine her at the foot of the cross? Like she didn't stand there like some stoic saint with stained glass window behind her like they depict her. She was on the ground. She was wailing. She was feeling every nail that went into her son's hand. She she goes, oh no, the day has come. The day has come when they, they prophesied that I would see this. And here she is standing there. The, Simeon had prophesied it and the birth of Jesus. And suddenly it's true, it's true. And this cross cut deeply into the heart of this mother. Despite the pain, however, Mary was there. She never left her post. She didn't run away and hide. She didn't do a fight or flight thing. She just stood there. She just stayed there. I'm going to stay wherever my son needs me, wherever my child needs me. I'm going to stay. I'm going to be the one that's strong. I'm not going to get into self-pity. I'm not going to get into my own feelings. I'm here for my child. And I, I'm, I take my hats off to all the mothers that have done that over the years, over and over again. Because motherhood isn't just about sweet things and, and the cute things they say when they're little and, and all that. Suddenly, you know, suddenly you, you're in a hospital or you're in a funeral home or you're in a counselor's office or you're in the principal's office and you're dealing with all the pain that comes with it. Amen. And you, you got, you're trying to teach your child to drive now and they're smashing your car. And I won't tell you which one did that twice. And, um, yeah. You know, Phil takes Jilly to learn how to drive. He says, I'll take her to learn how to drive. I'll do that. She'd never driven a car in her life before. So she's in the car next to Dad. And Dad just decides he'll just relax and get on his phone. And so she's driving. She can drive in a straight line, all right, but she gets to a roundabout. And she goes, oh, Dad, I don't know what to do here. And he goes, oh, that's fine. Just go around the roundabout. She goes, I don't know how to go around about. And she's just going straight. And she's going straight. I don't know how to go around the roundabout. He says, turn the wheel now. He reaches over. He turns it around. He said, get out. Get out now. He gets in the driver's seat. He drives her home. He said, you're teaching them to drive. <laughs> I taught all of them. Praise Jesus. I remember I was teaching Jilly one day. She's such a beautiful soul. I'm always picking on Jilly today. I'm teaching her to drive one day and she's like this. And I said, Jill, I can see a car getting closer. Put your foot on the brake now, darling. She goes, um, which one is it? <laughs> and the, now, put your foot on the brake now. Put your foot on the brake now. The one in the middle. It's like, whoop. Oh, she, okay, great. I mean, and then, the, and then you're holding your breath, you know, the, and dads would feel this too, the first time they go off in their revved up car and with their pee plates on, start chucking wheelies um, in the church car park. We won't talk about that, Charlie. Um, and you just hold your breath. You just go, oh my God, you know, like there's so much pain that we have to go through with these kids. But I'm telling you, the crosses are different from every family, right? But frankly, the crosses usually come. Amen. There may be harsh words, unacceptable actions, anyone with teenagers, although the teenagers in this house are all beautiful. None of them would be cruel to their parents. No, because they're Christians and they're beautiful. They'll never, get, they'll never tell their mother to shut up. Nothing like that. How many times do you get told, I hate you? And it's like, I gave birth to you. I've given you my heart. And you just have to suck it up. Just like Mary, you just have to stay at your post. Okay. I remember once I went to pick up Gemma from a party 
And it was just like, I knew she shouldn't have gone. You know, when you get that gut feeling, your gut feeling of the mother, I knew she shouldn't have gone to this party. And so this other mother rings me up. She said, I've just been around to check that party and there's alcohol there. And they were like young teenagers. So I'm in my car. I park out the front of the party. I walk into the party, said Gemma, in the car. And she looks at me and she says, you can't do this to me in front of my friends. In the car. She gets in the car and she says, you've ruined my life. And I said, good, we'll fix it tomorrow. It's like, and we did. (laughs) There's nothing like a mother's love that's totally surrendered to God. You know, I love it that Mary had a chance to see God's entire plan played out. She suffered through the crucifixion. She celebrated the resurrection and even was a part of the small group that witnessed the powerful presentation of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. She became one of his greatest disciples, his own mother. She saw the whole plan played out. And sometimes we think when we're in the worst stage, when we're at a cross experience as mothers with our families, we think this is the end, it's never going to get better. But I'm telling you, God has a plan of resurrection, of spirit filling. All your kids will be taught by the Lord and great shall be your children's peace. What a, what a gift from God it is to, to just live long enough that parenting suddenly makes sense. I'm probably at a stage where I'm now in that stage where I see my grandchildren in the house of God worshipping God and, and I see my daughters all thriving in their lives. I see my son-in-laws that I just loved and prayed for. They're just part of my heart. They're in my womb as well. And I look at them and I just go, okay, it all makes sense. It was all worth it. It was all worth it. And I know some of you, some mums, they didn't see the plan all play out. I know my mum didn't. But when she passed away, the Lord showed me her in the great cloud of witnesses, continuing to pray over her generations that she would see the fulfillment of it. And I just, I always feel her prayers. I, I can sense her and I know that she's helping me pray for the generations that are to come and still watching from the halls of heaven. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Any advice to give to mums this morning, young mums? mums with teenagers number one don't be too hard on yourself you'll never live up to those little books of perfect motherhood number two don't compare yourself to other mothers you mother the way that you mother and God uniquely uses your personality to mother your children or your grandchildren the way that you should and the way that you do Um, number three let your children see the process Let them understand your process. Don't hide your pain from your children. Talk to them and let them see the the glory to glory journey that you're going through. Because when they see that you're real, they'll feel safe to be real with you. Amen. I mean, you don't tell them all the nitty gritty stories, right? I don't tell my kids. I never tell my kids all the nitty gritty pre-salvation stories. It's none of their business because it's under the blood. But as I'm walking through my healing journey, I'll share some of it with them. And so that they would know that Jesus is making me a better person. And it's safe. He's safe. He's a safe person. Amen. There's so many women that have their Instagram perfect lives. Don't compete with them. It's a lie. It's all a lie. Amen. Another thing I would say is let the housework go. Sharon says, yeah. (laughs) Don't be too perfect. I mean, I tried to keep a perfect house when the kids were little. I had all my places for the toys where they go and everything organized. And then they'd come out and they'd just trash it in five minutes and you put it all back and then they'd trash it again and they'd put it all back. You know, I had it all planned, how perfect a mother I was going to be and how clean my house would be. And one day God said to me, you're so focused on keeping a clean house that you're not playing with your kids. So one day God said to me, just get down on the floor and play with them. Because you won't have this very long. You won't have it for very long. Make the most of it. Those with teenagers, just love them, 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 love them. No matter what they throw at you, just smile back and love them again. 
Just keep loving them. Give them a safe place to come home to when they're ready. Don't judge them when they tell you things. Don't react. All right. Okay. You know, we can work through that. You know, mum's here for you. It's okay. This is just a season of your life. And, you know, just be there that they can tell you the truth at any time because it's a safe place to come. Amen. And one day they'll come to you and they'll go, I'm so glad that you were tough on me when I was a teenager. I'm so glad, mum, that you said no to the things you said no to. I'm so glad that you raised us in God's house, even sometimes where we didn't want to be there maybe. I'm so glad. And the next thing I would say is even to all parents, just be in the moment. Enjoy this minute right now because one day you're going to be my age looking back and go, what happened? A minute ago, I gave birth to my first baby and here I am now, a grandmother and looking back over the years, it seemed like that. And people said that to me, it goes like that and you don't believe them. But I'm telling you, I've lived it now and it goes like that, doesn't it, Terry? It goes like that, you know what I mean? So be in the moment. Don't be going, oh, I wish they were walking so I could, you know, not have to carry them. I wish they were out in nappies. Or I wish they would get out of school. I wish they'd hurry up and get their license. I wish they'd, we're always pushing, pushing forward. I'm going to be happy when? But God wants us to be happy now, in this minute. Be present. Even in our lives as husbands and wives, we've got to learn to breathe and rest more and be in the moment. Be in the moment. Amen. Hallelujah. And the other thing was keep a godly house. Practice what you preach. Talk openly about God. Pray over your children every night. I would never let my kids go to bed without I prayed over them. And then I would tell them every night, thank you for being such a good girl today. And they go, but mommy, I lied and I did this. Yeah, yeah, but Jesus forgives you and so does mommy. It's a fresh new day tomorrow. Let's start again. Every night, I would pray over them. I pray blessing over them, over their dreams. Pray about everything. Remember, God loves your kids more than you do. He knows how to raise them. And the most important thing I can say to you is spend time with Jesus. Because the more time you spend with Jesus, the better parent you're going to be the better grandparent you're going to be, the better person you're going to be. And Jesus is going to come out of you to your kids. He's going to give you wisdom and love and grace and peace. Amen. Just to finish off here, it says, Isaiah 49.15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you, says the Lord. Here, God the Father is comparing himself, not only to a mother, but to a nursing mother. In these words, he's expressing the kind of love that will rise up 100 times in the night for you, the kind of love that will even die for you. If you are crying with sickness and fear, every one of us as children of God, he is there for us. Hallelujah. It says here, even though your mothers may forget you. Some of us have had hard mothering. But he says, I will never forget you. He has greater, he is the greater expression of motherhood than any human mother could possibly be. He is the original source. Hallelujah. And then later in Isaiah 66, 13, he says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you. I'm wondering if we could ask all the mothers to just come out and stand on the altar right before us. And let's just clap them as they're coming out and give them praise. Every mother, every grandmother, come and stand on the altar. Come and stand. Thank you, Jesus. See if you can get Leon and let Jesse come out. Come on, right? Come over here. Fill the middle up. Fill the middle up. Fill it up. Come on, let's give that a clap. All the mothers, all the grandmothers. Jesus. I love to just do what God tells me to do. 
So in a moment, I'm going to ask Jesse to sing over you. And I feel like God's just going to pour his love into you. But before we do that, just close your eyes right now. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if he's not, if he, if he, if you haven't given him any space where he can comfort you, if there's no place that he can give you a, a, his heart right now, he wants you to come into a relationship with him. And just right across this room, just close your eyes before the Lord. No one looking around. In Jesus' name, no one looking around. It's the most important decision you can make in your life to let Jesus be your father, your mother, your everything. For you as a child, as a child of God, to come home to him and accept him as your Lord and Savior. So right now, every eye closed right across this altar. If you want to pray with me this morning, just lift your hand up like that and put it down. I'm not going to make a point of it. Just lift your hand up. I'm going to pray with you. That's all. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray this prayer all together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God. And I want to be accepted into my Father's family. I receive you right now. Wash me clean. Make me new. I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Now, while these women and mothers...